Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your premier GPS hunting app, turns your mobile phone or your computer into a working GPS system. So one of the features that I want to talk about today within the Onyx Hunt app are actually some updates. So they have new wind and weather feature, which has to do with seeing an hour-by-hour forecast for wind speed and direction for the next eight days at any spot on your map. So you can plan for the wind before you actually head into the field all one place. Weather updates come from over 100,000 weather stations with Onyx looking to refresh that data every 15 minutes automatically. So there's large intuitive visuals that make it easy for us hunters to identify upcoming weather and patterns as well as make in the moment decisions based on those key weather factors and through some easy-to-read bar charts. So in addition to that, they also have a new feature where you can trim tracks. So it's, you know, it's very common where you turn a track on and you forget to turn it off and then you drive home. Well, although it doesn't necessarily completely stop you from forgetting to turn it off, what you can do is trim that track. So you can delete essentially that section where you're driving home to be able to clean it up and make it uh, function a little bit better. So some new features coming this week to Onyx. So make sure when you see that update come through, you update your phone and get that rolling. So if you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app, head over to onyxmaps.com. Use the coupon code EMW. That'll save yourself 20% off of the app. The University of Elk Hunting. So Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course available. Going through different modules from the beginning planning stages all the way through the end where you're packing the animal out and taking him home and taking him to taxidermist, hopefully. Every step along the way, it's your one-stop shop for learning how to plan yourself a do-it-yourself elk hunt. If you want to learn more about that, head over to elk101.com. And if you use the coupon code East Meets West, you'll save yourself 20% off a one-year membership to the University of Elk Hunting. And last but not least, Tethered. So Tethered has been developing the lightest weight, safest mobile hunting gear on the planet. And they're doing that specifically for saddle hunters and, you know, expanding a little bit now as well. So Tethered is born under, you know, a desire to to be able to teach others about saddle hunting and just create the best equipment to be the most efficient that you possibly can in the field. Bunch of new products coming out. seems like every month they have new stuff dropping right now. And uh, and plus the, the tried and true system. I use the Phantom Saddle as well as the Predator platform. Head over to tetherednation.com and be able to check all of that out. All right. Well, I am starting back up the good old Mountain Buck Monday 
posts again over on the social media. So if you're listening to this now, you know, head, or if you listen to this on Tuesday when it comes out, head over to the East Meets West Hunt Instagram or Facebook and be able to check out um, the, the photo and the same story I'm about to tell here about about this buck. So anybody that had success hunting mountain bucks anywhere in the Appalachian Range, maybe even the Rocky Mountains or or somewhere else. If it's a successful mountain buck hunt, send it in. I want to share that story, um, something to learn from it. And honestly, even if you wanted to share something where it wasn't successful, but a big, a good learning lesson, send it my way. Send it to my email, bo at eastmeetswesthunt.com, um, or through Instagram. Send me a message uh, with the photos and a brief story. So getting that going again here. And the first story is from Colin Shable. So Colin shot an absolute tank of a buck, and I'm pretty pumped to be able to share this one. He he um, sent me an email with, with all the information here. So this is what Colin said. Over the last couple seasons, I've got to experience some of the best hunting that Pennsylvania has to offer. Finding big bucks and having encounters with them, but I could just never seal the deal. Every time an opportunity arose, something bad happened. 2020 was the year I decided I was going to change that. And on October 30th, I didn't sleep well and actually almost slept in. But reluctantly, I got out of bed, packed my saddle gear, and headed into the woods. It was a rainy and dreary morning with little activity, deer activity. But I ate, or at 9.40, I heard some running going on across the, the creek after a long morning. And to my surprise, a doe popped out and I didn't see a buck. So moments later, I saw antlers moving towards me from the thicket, only to see my dream buck walking towards me. He chased her around with three other smaller bucks. I grunted and brought the doe closer to me, which made this buck come into range. He turned broadside and focused on her, and then I shot. And I didn't see him go down, so I had to back out for some help. And my friend that was with me ended up spotting him and said, He's dead over there, bud. And we ran towards him. Rushed with emotions, I dropped to my knees. It's been a long four years since my last PA archery buck, and it was well worth the wait. This is a day I will never forget. A true PA mountain monarch. And Colin, there's so many things that you know. I'm sure a lot of us can relate to in this story, whether it has to do with you know, the, the possibility of not having success for a couple of years and you're just working your ass off to get better and get it done. But the thing, the key thing I think of there is the persistence factor. Stayed with it, kept doing it, adapting, and eventually got it done on, again, what I would consider just a, a giant buck. So Colin, congrats again. And Pump for you to share the story with you. We got a bunch of stories to share in the upcoming weeks here. So send over your own to be featured. Um, so um, in addition to the Mountain Buck Monday, some other news. Bla- the Blaze Orange Mountain Bucks hat are back in stock. So I got another shipment in. I wasn't going to do it, but I ended up, the other one sold out in three days. So I got... Another shipment in, and they are ready to roll. So you can check that out at eastmeetswesthunt.com slash shop, and you can see everything there. Um, in addition to the, the Blaze hats coming out, I also have some 
legacy hats. Um, so I talked about this one last week, um, but also have those in stock. So the more low profile, you know, nice fitting hats, um, the worn kind of feel are the first ones I ever did and have kept the style because they've been super popular and just, just overall comfortable hat. So head over on the website, check out that any apparel items, every quarter I donate to a different conservation organization and in Q4 here, this one goes to the QDMA. So donating, I'm donating 3% of the sales to the QDMA. And so far this year, done backcountry hunters and anglers, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and NWTF, National Wild Turkey Federation. So um, just trying to give back a little bit there. So check out that. All right, so on today's podcast, I have Kevin Vistason, and Kevin and I are going to talk all about deer camp and the tradition that comes with deer hunting, you know, some stories from it, um, some different ways of, you know, hunting in the big woods, and he's coming, you know, from northern Michigan, so it's a really interesting uh, podcast and actually this this past weekend got to go to bear camp so it's a bunch of buddies of mine and spend it just you know not taking it as serious as i do deer hunting just being able to have fun you know we got up and we hunted all day from dark to dark but you know just really enjoyed ourselves and uh it's the the, the camp aspect as you hear us talk about some stories is just uh something that's really incredible and i feel bad for anyone that doesn't get to experience that or hasn't got to experience that. So I think this episode will be a a good one. I hope everyone enjoys it. And if you're still out there hunting, keep grinding. That's what I'm doing. Just trying to keep, keep after it. Rifle season's open here on Saturday in Pennsylvania. So I'm going to head back out and give it a, give it a shot. Happy Thanksgiving and have a good rest of your week. All right, we're live, and I'm joined on the podcast here tonight by a friend of mine and fellow podcaster coming from Michigan, Kevin Vistason. What's going on, man? Uh, well, we've been shooting the shit here for a couple minutes and kind of relaxing. And I'm home from a long day's worth of work and excited to talk about deer hunting. Yeah, yeah, I've been uh, I've been looking forward to talking to you for quite a while now you know we have a few mutual friends probably more than than we know and and uh you know been both in the the podcast game for quite a while now how long have you been doing it three and a half years i think something of uh, that nature i i think we're around getting close to approaching the 200 episode mark and i think it's taken us like three three and a half years to do so we typically put a show out a week so that's that is uh about how far we are into it as well as i currently know and then yes yeah, been a product of why the reason that you and i got hooked up and are going to be able to have conversation here this evening and yeah we were just touching on how it's how it's such a tool for connecting with like-minded individuals and building communities yeah, why why did you start the the Deer Hunter podcast? I started the Deer Hunter podcast for a couple reasons, uh, none of which include that I needed more to do. 
but I, I was driven. I've always loved deer hunting. I think about it year round and it's not just the hunting. It's so compounded for me because we do a big traditional deer camp and every year it's basically when I know for, for sure that I'm going to have some time to spend with my friends and my family. And as much as I absolutely love sitting in the woods and deer hunting, I absolutely love the time around the campfire with the guys cutting loose, talking semi inappropriately, you know, having conversations that would not be generally accepted in public (laughs) these days. And it's just kind of, you know, whatever. And, in the last couple of years, I know there's like a movement to get away from masculinity, but it is the time of year where we basically just get to be straight up cavemen as much as possible. You know, we do, we try to go to places that don't have like running water or any indoor accommodation facilities and just reconnect with nature. And a, a big part of that is kind of like being with your tribe. You know, I got my a pretty substantial big deer hunting tribe of guys that have spent decades, you know, over a decade now deer hunting with. And so I was just absolutely driven to spend as much time in that space as possible. And like I said, I really enjoy the conversations around the campfire. And I had started to listen to Wired to Hunt, Mark Kenyon's podcast. And I really love doing that but i thought man there's a whole nother like way that you could take this basically anybody that has like common interests um and could have their own i don't know their own dialogue like for for myself i work in the trades so there's a lot of like locker room humor and i just thought man we could totally recreate what happened the conversations that happen around our, our deer camp year round and give people a place to kind of enjoy that as well as try to learn as a community, you know, how to hunt, have guests on intelligent people. Like I said, one of the things for me was when you say deer hunter, it, it doesn't, everybody that is a deer hunter is also something else. Like some guys are plumbers, some guys are lawyers, some guys are race car drivers, but we all have in common that we deer hunt. So when we're at deer camp for a week, the conversation isn't always exclusively deer hunting. And I wanted to have that on my podcast too. I was a big fan of Joe Rogan's podcast. I've, I've been a longtime UFC fan and uh, UFC was coming to Detroit. And one of the local Detroit talk shows had Joe Rogan on. And they had a super cool conversation and Rogan was talking about his podcast. And I was like, man, that sounds awesome. Like, I want to check that out. So the, a day later, we were going up north to, I think we we're going up to our deer camp, actually, to cut some firewood and just kind of clean the camp up. And I turned on Joe Rogan podcast and he had just got back from, I think he was in British Columbia, maybe, with Stephen Ranella and Brian Callen, and he had Brian Callen on the podcast, and they had literally just got back from this this deer hunt. And so they were talking about hunting, and right off the get, the first time I listened to Rogan's podcast, I was instantly hooked. And then I always loved that 
you didn't know if you you know you might turn on rogan and hear like someone that's running for president or you might turn on rogan and hear like a hooker you just yeah. never know which direction he's gonna take it and i kind of embraced a little bit of that too where every podcast that we do isn't strictly about deer hunting a lot of it's just trying to uh navigate through life and get a little bit of good information out there and be a be a spoke essentially in a wheel a connecting wheel of good information and as we go along as a community just get stronger and obviously you know get better as deer hunters and people in general so i guess that's uh that's pretty long and drawn out but i've had a long time to think about this and uh i'm in it for the long game i'm gonna do it it's kind of my audio book. I, I, I don't have a lot of time to uh, write. And so it's kind of my journal. I, I save all of our, I save all of our episodes and catalog all them onto a external hard drive. And obviously everything will be, you assume it's going to be on the hosting site for forever, but you never are guaranteed that. So I know that when my kids get older, you know, and when I'm not even on this planet anymore, but my great, great grandkids that have never met me, who knows what the technology will be at that point, but they'll be able to probably plug a hard drive into their forearm and, you know, listen to, listen to their dad or their great, you know, their great, great grandfather talk about, talk about hunting and life and what it was like living back in the shit storm of 2000, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense and and it's funny you say that um about like cataloging them because I had someone ask me when I was taking my podcast equipment on hunts with me. I took it to Alaska, I took it on my elk hunts and recorded um daily if not every couple of days, you know, just like what happened that day. It could be a 15-minute episode, it could be an hour episode depending on what happened and they're like doesn't that take away from, you know, being able to enjoy that experience? And I was like, no, not at all. Because even though we we're tired, you know, at the end and sometimes didn't really want to do it, it is so great to be able to go back and listen to them and remember all the details from the days that you might, you know, eventually those those minor details fade from your memory and you're able to, you know, bring that back and remember what you were thinking in that moment. And it's pretty cool. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That's a big thing about photography too, right? I haul a camera pretty much everywhere and I wear people out. Like I take so many pictures and, and like, you know, people will get sick of me because I'm just like, they're like, Fuck, where is he? You know, like, why are we waiting again standing here? And it's because I get sidetracked and I, you know, next thing I know, I have, look at my SD card and I got, you know, 798 images on there and we've been there for four hours but (laughs) i absolutely love capturing that stuff and yeah it is it is a lot of work but i think it's you know it's time and it's time well invested Uh, i go back and especially like our episodes that we've recorded from our deer camp when we're sitting around campfire it's just nice it's nice uh it's nice to hear conversation with your friends and it's also it's a huge tool for growth because you'll listen to yourself like three years ago on something you said and you're like, God, what an idiot. 
you know, like, (laughs) and so I don't have a lot of time either. Like we were talking about editing and listening back to your episodes and I don't really get to get the time to do that. But, uh, it, it, it is nice. Like I said, when I do go back and listen to that, the older ones and, you just realize, you know, how you've changed your views potentially on something or for me, it's, it's really, um, when I was younger, I was, and I'll fully admit it, I was very egotistical and, uh, it's, it's really helped me listen to myself and be like, God, you kind of sound arrogant when you talk like that or, could do that better and i i think it's really helped me just in my entire scope of life even in my relationship with my wife to be a better communicator yeah no i i I could i could definitely agree with that and and yeah it's it's interesting to see how like you said your views change whether that comes to hunting or life or anything else as you go through that process and and one thing you said that was interesting and is is the fact that you said that you're in this for the long game, which I think anybody that gets into podcasting that thinks that, you know, it's something that you're just going to go super hard with up front and then all of a sudden it's great. Like that's not the case. It's a, it's a long grind. It's almost like, it's almost like hunting a rut, you know, it's like a long process where it's, um, you know, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint sort of deal. It is, and there'll be days where you'll feel like the momentum's really on your side, and then there's days where you're just like, oh, man, it's, it's, this just seems impossible. You know, it's uh, it takes quite a while. I know when I first started it, so I, I'm fortunate living here in Michigan uh, that um, we had a local BHA thing going on, and when I was getting this thing going... I was actually able to sit down with Mark Kenyon and, you know, we had a couple pints of beer and he had let me fill up a couple sheets of a notebook on do's and don'ts. So I had a pretty uh, unique situation for myself personally getting into it to have like some really good, solid sound advice. And I had a nice little kickstart. And I think I had this idea in my head that as soon as it went out, that it would just take off, you know, because I was hearing these numbers of like these people that had podcasts like uh, at the time, uh, Gritty Bowman had just come out and they were doing giant numbers. And I just kind of thought that that was going to be the case. And it was it was far from that. It took it really did. It took took me years to, you know, build a subscription base and build our downloads and it it was pretty long and drawn out but i think it's the best way to to you know basically maybe go about it because it, it's super organic if you just kind of let it put in the time and let it grow and let it build and i've heard other guys that have podcasts that i, I get it it's a competitive space and like literally really i mean pretty much anybody that's getting into any space that's creating media is seeing the value in having a podcast. And so you got a lot of podcasts and I've, I've heard other guys in the hunting space kind of, 
I don't know, be scoffful at like, oh, everybody's got one now. But I'm like, shit, everybody's got one now. Sweet. Like, the more the better. Like, it's going to, somebody is going to find your, you know, your content and like it better than what they currently find. And sometimes people are going to find your content and then through your content, they're going to find somebody that they like even more. And for me, that is a success. Honestly, I don't look at it as like, I want the most downloads. If somebody comes to my show and listens to it and I have a guest on, and then that person really likes that guest and doesn't listen to my podcast anymore and listens to theirs, then my job is done. Because like I said, all I want to do is be like a connective spoke and a wheel of good information and putting people on a path to have a better community and have things be better. So podcasting is an awesome, awesome thing because people can do it while they're at work. They can do it while they drive. And you literally do like you kind of get to know somebody on a personal level and super valuable tool. Yeah, I I agree. And I, I've talked to Clint Campbell about this quite a bit too. And we always laughed. It's like, you know, in any other like business or space, you know, we'd look at each other as competition and that's not the case at all. Like, you know, we want to see each other do just as good as ourselves, you know, it's just, and, and it only helps, you know, each other out. And he's introduced me to people. I've introduced him to people and it's just like this constant, community and and i've just met so many awesome people through that like that i would never have met otherwise my good friend brian broderick said this i don't know that i'd heard it before he said it it's probably a popular popular quote but a rising tide raises all ships and it's super it's impactful i think about it all the time and it's the truth you know just don't just be worried about your boat staying afloat. You know, you got to have everybody else stay afloat and you do better as just um, as a recipient, a recipient of the community, basically, or a reciprocal of the community doing better. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And, and uh, I think it's, it's cool. I love connecting with other uh, you know, podcast hosts and everything. And I'll tell you one thing, it makes it easier when I interview guys like yourself, because, um, you, you know what, what to expect. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's easy to, uh, easy to have conversation. If, if that's one thing, but, um, to, to go back a little bit to you talking about your, you know, your, how you got into the podcast with, you know, your deer camp tradition and everything where, where's your camp located? I mean, I don't need a specific town or anything, but like in general, as far as a location. Oh yeah, no problem. So few people live up there that it's, uh, and it's such a big expansive area that I'm, I am, and I'm not stingy about telling people where we go. So I live in Southeast Michigan, about 30 minutes north of Detroit. I work here in the Detroit metropolitan area and downtown Detroit. And then our camp is four hours north of here. So we're in the northern lower peninsula of Michigan. And the forest that I prefer to hunt is a, a piece of state-owned land 
it is approximately 105,000 acres, and then that's attached to a state forest that has, I believe, 150,000 acres, and then another state forest that's like 125,000 acres. So I think it it ends up being somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, it's just under half a million acres of pretty pristine pretty pristine wilderness and really good deer habitat. Um, I personally never feel like it sees pressure. Uh, it, it does and it doesn't. It sees pressure a few couple days of gun season. But the pressure is pretty easy to work around. There's just so much land. So that's just one of the big things that is a challenge. You got to figure out basically to go where other people aren't. But uh, our camp, like I said, is about four hours north of where I live here. It's in the Gaylord area. And it is the home range of Michigan's elk herd. So we have black bear, elk, whitetail, turkey, tons of grouse, squirrel, rabbit, coyotes, a lot of beaver. I mean, it is, it's a very diverse ecosystem, tons of wilderness, uh, tons of wildlife, and we don't have wolves, which I'm pretty thankful for. They have wolves in the upper peninsula of Michigan, so they have to combat and deal with that up there. Um, they have the same list of species that I just said, except for they also have moose and they have wolves. And... I'm kind of thankful that we don't have to deal. I'm very thankful, honestly. I I know there's mixed, you can hear mixed things about that. And I've never had personally hunt anywhere where there's wolves. Um, but our deer have a hard enough time up there because the winters are real rough and they have to compete with the elk for food. And if we have a real rough winter, obviously cedar becomes one of the you know, the things that everything lives off of up there in the winter and the elk can just browse substantially higher than the whitetails can. And it makes it pretty tough on those deer, but it is, it's big woods. It's big woods deer hunting. So I'm fortunate we have a, my father invested in a piece of property when he was younger. We've had it my whole, pretty much my entire lifetime. It's uh, 120 acres, and there's a handful of guys that hunt it. I personally really don't because, oh, it gets more pressure than the public land that I go on because everybody goes up there for the first couple opening days, and they've got their shacks, and they drive through the property and let every deer for a mile know that they're there. And it's great. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that they, you know, we have uh, an older crew of deer hunters at our place but we started to realize that there's just so much opportunity with state land around us and we are basically surrounded by it we would be at the southern end of what would be a you know a one hour car ride basically to go north to not be on state land so it's pretty expansive and we've been going up there since I was 14 and I'm now 37. So it's, it's, I mean, it's been in my adult life. It's been a, 
you know, huge part of who I am as a person. Deer camp uh, basically is my Christmas every year, you know. Yeah, and, and um, when when do you go up there for like the for the rifle season? Do you go up there for bow season, or is there like a, a specific time when most people go? Yeah, so you know, we used to go a lot, obviously, when, before we were all married and before we all had kids and before we all worked, you know, sixty hours a week. We would just go up there all the time. And, uh, as we obviously got a little bit older and had families, we have coordinate, figure out. So we got to make the most of our time. So what we typically try to do is go late summer, uh, maybe the end of August or like, uh, beginning of September. We like to go up to camp and cut firewood and maybe hang some tree stands, do some scouting, and cameras, any kind of work that basically preparatory work, we'll try to jam that all in. And uh, we'll try to make it up for, you know, a weekend during archery in October, typically. But the last couple of years, uh, the, the group of guys, my, my brother and my couple best friends that really are like my, uh, the core of, at our deer camp, there's like, there's like everybody has their little core and then there's probably like six cores that come together to do our, like our rifle camp. So our rifle camp is kind of like our Christmas Eve, but uh, my core guys in the last couple of years started going down to Ohio during October for uh, doing public land bow hunting down there. So that's kind of made our, our October bow hunts up in Northern Michigan a little dicey, but we, we kind of live for that uh, November 15th every year is our firearm opener. So we'll typically try to go up there a couple days before scout and bow hunt. And then we do big dinners every night. I mean, there it's, we've had last year, hey, last year we had something like 37 guys at our camp, the, the night of the opener because the other guy guys that live or not live, but they have camps up in that area and uh, they'll come by and we'll do big, big fish fries and big, big dinners like that. So the firearm opener is our big kind of our big hurrah. And then I love to go up there in December for, uh, you know, snowy, cold muzzleloader weekends. The woods is basically just a ghost town everything's covered in snow. Everything is pretty deeply frozen by then up there. And the fair weather guys are, they're gone, man. I mean, they are literally on planes to Florida by, by the time that that weather sets in up there. And we can get some of that weather in November up there last year, not opening day, but the day after opening day was two degrees you know, and that was just air temperature factor wind chill into that. I'm sure it was, you know, sub zero. And I've hunted up there in 20 below when I've been up there for late season archery. So it's, uh, it, it has its challenges, but it's, it's basically everything I love in deer hunting is not uh, being around people and having the opportunity to shoot an older age class animal. And then also up there 
we have fairly good deer numbers. Some years it's a lottery, some years it's not. It just depends on the winter. But Michigan provides the opportunity to get a lot of deer numbers. So it's a great state for me in general to be here because uh, I like shooting does and filling my freezer up. My family lives off venison. We, we, we really, really do. And so I like to shoot a lot of deer, and thankfully Michigan has a lot of deer. So it's a good spot for me. Yeah. It, so when when you guys, you know, go up there for your camp and everything, you, how what is the deer density like? I know you said that they have, like, you know, tough winters and stuff. Is it like us here in northern Pennsylvania where it's relatively low numbers? Um, or Are they healthy, or what, what does that kind of look like? You know, I wish I knew more of what the, the actual numbers are for deer per square mile, but basically I'll just break it down into real world uh, what deer hunters care about, which is basically like how often do you see deer, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> what kind of deer do you see. If I'm going up there for, let's say, five days, there could be, it's not out of the realm of possibility that you could go three sits without seeing a deer. That could happen. If weather's not great or you just picked the wrong spot or you're just having bad luck, you know, you could go, you know, a day and a half without seeing a deer. Yeah. You typically don't go more than a couple days without seeing a deer. And then the flip side of that is you could go out in a morning and you could see 15 deer. So it just really varies obviously with weather. If the deer are moving, if, did you pick the right spot? Are you on the right food source? And then I see a lot of young bucks that I don't know how great, you know, what a, what a biologist would actually say about the age structure up there but i think it's pretty decent there's deer up there that without question die of old age like they just it's not a ton of them but it does happen because there's so much swamp and thick just stuff where some of these deer just will spend their entire life so i've killed a lot of two and a half year old bucks up there it's the kind of the reality for me if I'm going up there on a three-day weekend where I took Friday or Monday off. So let's say I leave Thursday after work. I get up there Friday morning. I pick the wrong spot. Deer just weren't in there for whatever reason. I'll get down by 10, 10.30 and scout. And... If I spend a day, if I have a day to scout, I can typically find deer to where the next day I'm on deer. And there's a good buck numbers. There's a lot of younger bucks. So the sign's prevalent because nothing makes more sign than a two and a half year old buck. I mean, I don't think personally they just lay down a ton of sign because they're just kind of into that like teenage years, basically where they're kind of reckless. 
and super competitive. It seems like obviously older deer kind of know that they're the head honcho and they don't have to do as much of that. So I do, uh, I have shot a lot of two and a half year old deer up there just because the time frame that I have is really what's realistic for me. But if, if you give me, you know, if you give me five days, I could typically hedge my bet that I could go up to Northern Michigan and I could fill a doe tag and a buck tag with, uh, you know, not bringing home a year and a half old deer. It's going to usually be a two and a half, three and a half year old deer. And then, you know, I obviously have a couple of pretty good stories about, uh, you know, altercation, not altercations, but, um, opportunities, I guess you could say they're altercations, uh, opportunities on older deer. And then friends of mine that I hunt with up there that have shot, you know, 136 inch eight point, And then, you know, like a hundred and 140 inch 10 point. So, and they just dark chocolate racks and they carry mass all the way through. So there's bigger and older deer up there. It's just a product of having the time, being able to cover the ground, I often always feel like by the time I really have my finger uh, on the pulse of what's going on, that it's time to leave yeah. and come home. So, but that's, I, I love that challenge. I love that about that. I, I, I think about this pretty consistently that I feel like if I moved to like Kansas or Iowa where the deer were a whole lot bigger and prevalent, that like pretty soon that would kind of become your norm. And then you have to look for something like even bigger to where I feel like here in Michigan anyways, let's call a hundred inch deer the norm. You know, if you shoot a 110 inch deer, you're like, damn sweet. I feel awesome. You know, whereas it just, the norm is different. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't feel like every year here I, I have to shoot a, you know, 130 inch buck. It's uh, I just, I'm pretty realistic about the time that I have, the age structure of the place that I like to hunt, and personally, what I like to get out of a hunt. If if I knew I was going to be able to go hunt a farm and kill a 150-inch deer, or if I had the opportunity to go hunt some big woods, expansive forest, where... You know, I know I'm just going to be completely left alone, not hearing tractors running and things of that nature. I must have to go shoot a hundred inch deer, dude, it, all day because uh, a big part of why I like to deer hunt is just disconnecting from, you know, modern society and kind of reconnecting with the natural pace of how the world works. And I feel like you get that experience when you go into the wilderness and you go into the big woods and you just kind of don't even talk to somebody for a day and a half or two days, you know? Yeah. And that's, it's so funny you say that because every year I try to think of myself, like I should go on a whitetail trip, you know, somewhere. And, and I used to go to Ohio all the time, which was, was big woods type stuff, but still there was just, there's something about, that the home Northern Pennsylvania, you know, big woods that just, that's where I spend my vacation time. Like I just can't, 
I don't know. I just, I struggle taking away from that. You know, if I get lucky and fill a tag early, then I'd go somewhere else. But like, I just haven't had the real want to go to like an Iowa or a Kansas and, and don't get me wrong. I want to, but like, I haven't, it hasn't made the priority less high enough yet to, to actually do that. I just like, like you said, I like being able to go to places where, you're away from people. You don't have to worry about that. You're hunting kind of on your own terms. And I, I go back and forth with my own personal goals when it comes to that. Like, you know, everything you described is so similar to what that what we have here in Pennsylvania and in, in, in the big woods, I guess. And it's just like, there's some years where I'm like, I'll get like, trail cameras are my best friend and my enemy because they'll show me some, you know, really big deer that are obviously also very rare that I'll try to hunt and everything. And, and, you know, being realistic with the time I have, it's a very small chance that I, that you're able to do that. But it, you know, I, I go back and forth. It seems like every few years on, you know, what I decide I want to hunt and, you know, what, you know, but in, in the, the end of it, you know, they all make me happy when I, when it comes down to when I shoot one and end up getting it, you know, I, I think of like the, the deer, you know, the deer camp tradition thing, you know, where we, my family is a big group of archery hunters. So we have a, a giant group, like immediate family that goes to camp that everyone's off of work the first week or two weeks in November, like depending on when they take their vacation time, but we're always going to camp after, after the hunt and, you know, just talking. And, and I remember I shot, it was my biggest body deer in 2017. This thing had a giant body on it and it would have been so much smarter for me to pack out, pack it out. And but I just wanted to show everybody at camp how big the body was. So I remember it took me like, I don't know, it was like five and a half hours, maybe six hours to drag it out by myself and through this clear cut. And it was just terrible. I couldn't even get it in the bed of my truck, but we got back and we hung it on the pole and everyone stood around and drank beers and talked about it and stuff. And that was, that was so worth it in in its own, just that, that whole aspect of the camp there. Yeah. Having a buck pole, you know, I don't, I, I guess it's, I always just assumed it was the norm. But then I, you know, as I got a little older, it's a, a regional thing. But, you know, a buck pole is kind of the center of any deer camp, basically up in northern Michigan. And then, uh, yeah, we all, you know, at the same time started listening to the Western hunting podcast. I'm like, oh, those guys are cool. They cut all their stuff up and put it in backpacks. You know, let's do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so it is, it is it is a great option. And I'll say this. I am definitely a... Uh, a meat conservationist as far as like i do not like to waste any of my deer i like the ribs um the heart i don't like anything getting screwed up and dragging a deer that's been gutted through a mile of swampy marsh is not good meat care i don't care what anybody says is not you know, people are like, oh, my God, why does this thing taste, you know, like a work boot? And it's like, because you marinated it in swamp muck, uh, you know, and then let the thing hang for for two days. That That's not going to cut it, man. So, 
if it's going to mean uh, destroying, you know, kind of the meat in my eyes, I'll, I'll cut a deer up and bring it out of there in that manner. But uh, personally, you know, I want to get that thing back to camp, get that thing hung up, and then pour myself like a, you know, a tall pour of whiskey, stand there and drink it, and just stare at that thing for like four hours, you know? Yep. Yeah, and, it, and it's funny, like, you know, and it's, it can be – you know, 10, 15 degrees out and everyone's still standing out there, you know, around it. And it's always like the, the, the center of attention when it comes to, to deer camp. And, and, and I'm, I'm, so I was the same way. No one in my family ever packed out, like cut them up and packed them out. And then I started listening to the Western hunting podcast and started hunting elk. And I'm like, man, and it is an easier way to get them out. And most of the time, in my opinion, but you know, and it's funny seeing like, like my dad and and some of my family, like the creative ways they have to get deer out. It's just hilarious. We've done it where we've built pole or not built poles, but essentially got poles out of the woods and, you know, tied them that way. And two guys carry them out, done it where, you know, if there's some sort of an old logging road or something in there, taking the deer cart in and just, there's, there's so many different methods to that. <laughs> Yeah, my good friend, uh, Jason Samkowiak, who has the traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast, if you haven't heard of that or if your listeners haven't heard of that, I would strongly advise, um, you know, putting that on your subscription base because he, Jason is a no BS guy. He's always looking for the most efficient way to do things, basically, and uh, he is a he is a giant advocate for that jet sled. And I, I think I've just been too young and dumb to realize that I need to absolutely invest in one of those jet sleds because he's got some videos. Uh, again, his name, is, it's a traditional bow hunting and wilderness podcast. And then it's also that on YouTube and he's got a lot of videos, um, how he uses that jet sled, even, like you were saying about getting something up in the truck, you know? Yeah. He's got uh, some methods that uh, he just carries like a small little ramp basically with him and zip, just zip that jet sled right up that ramp. And it's just like, he, uh, he really does things as efficiently as possible, but I'll say this. I use a hunter safety system, a tree uh, safety harness and so I just switched this year. I've had the one I've had, I've had for four or five years and it's more of the vest style one with pockets Yep. and I absolutely love it. And it's got a little, basically a D loop right at the tailbone. And the new one that I just switched to, because the, I love that one, but it's, it's, it's heavy. It's like one of the heaviest, I swear to God, that thing's heavier than my tree stand. Like, <laughs> every time it's in my every time it's in my pack i know it's in there i think i and have it's bothered, that one <laughs> it's bothered me for a while because uh you know we can get into uh some of the ways i hunt up there but i use a western pack and i pack a tree stand and sticks around and all my gear and i wanted i really knew that i could cut a, a lot of weight and <clears throat> I'm not like the kind of person that weighs, weighs stuff out and is real critical about that because I don't hunt a lot of topography. Uh, I do a lot of swamp hunting and it's, it's hilly, but it's not mountainous. So it's, um, 
it's not something where I have to worry about ounces, but that harness I knew was an issue. So I switched to, uh, I think it's called like the shadow or something. It's the, it's, I think it's the cheapest one that Hunter safety system has. It's, it's when I saw it, it said one size fits all. I'm thinking that doesn't sound good. You know, like one size fits all. Like I want my harness to really fit me, but I can see it now the way that they designed that, that that thing really does, you know, could fit, um, basically any adult and which is really nice it has a lot of adjustability because sometimes i wear a pretty big set of bibs and you can actually put that harness on over your bibs which i found is much more comfortable than wearing it under the bibs so where i was going with that is the this one is a little different. It actually has a deer drag cord that comes off of the tailbone. But if you've never drug a deer in that manner, if you uh, drag it by the horns or the old rope and stick trick, you are really handicapping yourself. If you have one of those uh, harnesses that has a D loop or the ability to attach your drag to the tailbone, I just use uh, a strap from one of my sticks or my tree stand, and that way I can lengthen that or shorten it as much as I need to get the head and the horns basically riding up off the ground, but not like where my heel of my boots is kicking the thing in the face. And then both of your hands are free. And you can really just steam forward and go. And I've, I've drugged some deer a long ways using that method. And you got to sometimes take a break and go slow. But uh, it's just way less miserable than the way that I used to do it before I had that set up. Huh, that's interesting. I did, I've, never, I've never drug one that way before. True story. You know, people have like the rollers that you fill with water and then you pull it behind your lawn tractor to like flat, flatten your grass. Yeah. I have one of those. Um, I think it weighs like 600 pounds once it's full of water. And in the, in the summertime, I'll fill that thing up with water and then attach it to my uh, harness and I'll walk. I'll do my whole yard. And then uh, I'll do it through the course of the summer just for exercise. I'll just fill that thing up with, huh. and it rolls. So it's not like you're dragging 700 pounds of water, but you want to talk about a workout. And uh, I might have, you might even drive past my house and see me dragging that thing around the yard with beer <laughs> in my hand. And it is just training for deer camp. That's that's interesting. That's that's really funny. Uh, wait, an application to be able to do that. And so, what what is what is this jet sled? I don't think I've ever heard of that or that term. I guess the jet sled is a product for. I don't know if it was designed for. It might have been specifically designed for for deer hunting, but it's um. Okay, I just found it's it. Kind of a yeah, like a toboggan design with like a little bit taller sides yep, and uh, it dry leaves 
basically anything it, that you're dragging, it's going to make dragging way easier. And I have drug a lot of deer and, you know, I, I've seen some, I've seen a lot of people just really, really handicap themselves with like tying the legs forward or trying to pull the thing from the back legs where you're working against the grain of the hair. Um, you want to streamline that thing as, as much as possible. And the jet sled, I think, is the way to go about doing it because uh, you're just um, you're decreasing the amount of friction, essentially, that you're going to have to drag that thing. I, I'm fortunate up there that typically, oh, more often than not, I think, my long drags have always been in the snow which is a huge asset obviously versus dragging over dry leaves. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm 37 now, uh, 10, 20 years from now. I don't know how great I'm going to feel about dragging, you know, a deer out of the woods for three quarters of a mile. So that jet sled is, if that's going to be the easiest way to do it, that'll probably be the route that I'm going. Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking it up and I, I've seen people use, use those before. I'm pretty sure my buddy Johnny Stewart has one. I, if I, if I remember right, one of the first people I saw using one and I was doing a, I was doing a backpack rifle hunt last year in one of the wilderness areas in Pennsylvania. And, and I ran into the only guy back there and he had a roll-up sled that was attached to his pack, and that's how he was getting his deer out, which was sure, I've seen interesting. That. Which I, I think would be harder than the jet sled, but it's something you could bring with you, I guess. Yeah, I saw uh, <clears throat> Mark Kenyon was in. Oh, I don't know where he went. Uh, he goes somewhere every September. I feel like there's a whole lot of states that starts with M that people deer hunt in, and I always get them confused. Montana? I think he was in Montana. And I remember him having one of those roll-up sleds. And I remember watching him have a hard time. Uh, <laughs> you know, the deer would kind of spill out of it, and the thing would slide out from underneath. It wasn't ideal, but he was able to get the job done with it. But, uh, yeah, I'm telling you, if you, if you go to uh, – like I said, my friend Jason has that channel, Traditional Bow Hunting Wilderness Podcast. Yeah, I'm going to look that up. Videos. He's got some videos on there. Um, that guy is as real world as anybody gets. He's a traditional bow hunter. He kills a whole bunch of deer. He's always shooting everything. He travels around to pig hunt. Um, he hunts all on state land. Super savvy. He's a penny pincher. Dude, if you were a deer hunter on a budget, that is a channel that you cannot miss um, because a lot of what he does is like, hey, here's how I saved 50 bucks. And uh, he saving $50 is a bigger deal to him than shooting a 200 inch deer. That's the kind of guy he is. He's just super practical. And uh, yeah, he, he lives and dies by that jet sled. And I, he's got like some videos on his YouTube page of, how he uses it specifically. And I remember looking at that and going, man, that's way easier than how I've been doing it. Yeah. That's funny. 
Huh. I yeah, like I said, I'm gonna check out his podcast and those videos. There, it'd be interesting. I I love learning from guys like that that do a lot of the you know a lot of the DIY stuff, but also kind of just finding different ways that aren't necessarily always talked about. For it. it's not just a you know a typical off the shelf hunting product that you buy. Yeah, he's a he's a uh, real red blooded American. He's a great guest if you ever have him on, and he's a He's just as real as it gets, and he kills a bunch of deer. He goes, he travels to hunt, and basically everywhere he goes, he shoots a bunch of stuff. Um, Great deer hunter, and really big on like, hey, this doesn't have to cost you an arm and a leg. This is probably the best way to go about this. Like I said, he, he travels a lot to deer hunt, and like basically every time he does, he like calculates everything down to the penny. He's like, this is how much it cost me to go. Look how cheap it was. You know, he's like, I made money on this trip because I brought a dirt bike with me and sold it. Yeah. And uh, he, he's a great channel to a great channel to follow. Huh, that's interesting. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that you brought that up. I'm going to check it out. <laughs> um, so do you, um, you, do you prefer, I mean, it sounds like you prefer hunting the big woods. Do you hunt any farm country or anything closer to where you live at? Yeah, so I was fortunate to grow up on a small farm. My family still lives there. My parents and my grandparents live on an 80-acre farm. It's not the kind of farm that you would think of when you say, when I guess when you typically think of farm, people think of livestock. And our farm was a sod farm. So by trade, my grandfather and my father owned a sod farm and a landscaping company. But it has about 10 acres of woods, and now that they're retired out of the sod business, they lease it to local farmers that usually plant corn. Uh, Every now and then they'll plant soybeans, but it's typically, you know, about, uh, I guess it's probably more 15 acres of timber, and then the, you know, the rest is would either be corn, cut corn, or beans. And it was growing up, there was a lot of woods around that area. It's an area that's got developed quite heavily, like where all the best bedding areas were even 10 years ago. Now there's houses. Oh, uh, okay. So it's been a super challenge. And it's not like the neighborhoods that have houses where people feed the deer out of the backyard. It's the neighborhood where people that feed the deer out of the backyard then shoot the deer. So okay, it, it's not like those urban neighborhoods where the deer are like, Oh, people let's, you know, they're friendly. No, the deer there are very nocturnal. Everyone is trying to shoot them. And it's very small little spotty wood lots there's probably more hunters than deer in the area that I hunt. Um, it's a huge migratory bird area. So the one, the one big good thing about that, and we, we do have some big deer um, down here every year. I'll typically have not so much this year, or last year, they've been down years, but every year that I've typically ran cameras, you know, I might have, 
160 inch deer and 230 inch deer or two 140s and a 120 there's typically going to be a couple four or five year old deer around because we have a a lot of marsh and there's a refuge for migratory birds the place that i live here in southeast michigan i live on the st Clair river which you can look on a map and where the St. Clair River dumps into Lake St. Clair, that is the biggest freshwater delta in the entire world. And it's a huge migratory bird travel route. And there is a big, couple big refuges here for migratory birds. No entry from September 1st till December 15th. And trust me, every deer within six, seven miles knows where those refuges are. And that's where they go as soon as deer season opens up. (laughs) So there's all kinds of challenges for hunting down here where I hunt. There's decent deer numbers. Uh, I think now it would seem in the last couple of years that we have a coyote problem. That needs to be addressed, and then people just keep cutting lots and building houses, so the habitat keeps getting smaller and smaller. I think there's less deer around, but uh, we don't have the harsh winters that they do up in northern Michigan, plus there's agriculture around, so it is, it's, it's a different deer, you know, a two-and-a-half-year-old deer down here could be 110 inches and weigh 165 pounds where a two and a half year old deer up in Northern Michigan, he might be a four corn that weighs 115 pounds. Mm -hmm. So it's, it is a little bit of a different deer. Typically, I think if I had to hedge my bets to shoot an older deer that scores better, I would probably, there's probably more of them around here. And if I had time, that's where I would allocate it. But I hate hunting down here, just to be completely honest with you, because I hear car doors open and close, people's radios, kids getting off school buses. It is, um, I like going up you know, getting away from all of that. And basically, you know, the only thing you might hear today is like an airplane fly over. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I, I can totally agree with that type of, type of hunting. I, I didn't, I've never hunted like a ton of farm country, but when I lived down by Pittsburgh, that's what I did. I hunted and that was the same way. And it was just, you know, they were killing big deer and stuff in, in the area. It's just, I, I just, I don't know. I couldn't, I just didn't like it. I didn't like dealing with that at all. Yeah, you obviously, you travel a fair amount to hunt. Yeah. So I, I'm sure you get to go to a, a lot of quiet places. I know, well, geez, you guys uh, filmed the film, basically, basically about being, what, dead silent. <laughs> what was that? Uh, that was a, was that a Sitka film? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it, um, the quiet place. Yeah, that was up in Alberta. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah, like, that place is freaking that, awesome. Traveling to hunt, I think uh, something like that. Um, I mean, 
man, I'll tell you what, I, I see like Jim Shockey's Saskatchewan whitetail hunts and just like, it calls my soul. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, just can't, because Canadian deer are incredible. And I, I want to go back to do that again sometime. I don't know if I'll ever get the opportunity or if I'll, you know, but it was just, it was just incredible. As quiet as you can get. It, it, I don't know what it is. I heard it's because you're so far north, but when it, it would be so cold that you would hear a crow's wings fly at like 150 yards away. You could just hear the, the, the whoosh in the air and, and a coyote would run across the field at a 300 yards and you could hear every footstep. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. What happens? Um, so I'm a plumber by trade, but do HVAC and have for a long time. And you just, and I think being a hunter, you kind of get to be a freak about uh, weather and atmosphere. And you don't realize that um, the percentage of humidity that is in the air is responsible for cutting down how sound travels. Mm, okay. So if obviously if it's snowing, you know, if everything's covered in snow and it's snowing, like it's just dead quiet, right? You don't hear any noise. Well, when there's a certain percentage of humidity in the air, it also, you know, controls the noise. Well, when you get up into an environment like that, where it's sub zero temperatures and the humidity is zero, zero humidity. There is no moisture in the air to reduce the way that that sound travels. And, and like you just said, a crow flapping its wings, you're like, what is going, what is that? Yeah. It's so noisy. It's so noisy. And then sometimes, yeah, I mean, you have a crow that just pipes up, you know, like right behind you, you know, give you a heart attack. Everything up there is just so amplified. And like, you know, if there's no snow on the ground. And you have like a frosty 25 degree morning, you're walking out to your stand and you're just like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm scaring every deer for four miles. It's so absurd. Uh, but then you get into your tree stand and things settle down and it gets quiet. And I just, I, man, I die for that every year. Um, I love those quiet days where you could just hear for miles because I feel like obviously if it's a little windy or rainy and I'm relying on my eyes, I've got to be way more alert and looking and looking and looking. I love when I can just kind of close my eyes and use my ears to hunt and sit there. And there's just nothing more exciting. I don't think for me as a deer hunter to just start hearing shh, Oh yeah. You hear a deer coming through the woods and, uh, the audio, you know, I, and you know this from doing a little bit of filming audio is a big deal. And it is for me for deer hunting too, you know, hearing deer come through the woods, hearing grunts, hearing crows. I love the audio track for deer hunting as much as I love the actual, you know, visual and the reality part of it. And, when you're downstate and it's car doors opening and closing and you hear people hooting and hollering out of the, uh, you know, Jimmy, come in for dinner. 
it it just totally kind of ruins the experience for me versus being up in those big woods and not having to not having to acknowledge that other people live on this planet. Yeah, I I could totally relate to that. As you're sitting there talking about it, I'm just thinking of like different scenarios and and you know I'm not I don't love late season hunting because um, the chances seem to be even way lower um, in the big woods, but. I love the silence and everything when you're out like that. And say you get like a, a, a crust of snow over where it starts to thaw a little bit and then it freezes again and, and you can hear a deer coming through like that. That sound is just incredible. Yep. I completely agree. Yeah. And you, yeah. And, and you had done, um, you had done a film um, with Jordan um, called the forest that I watched I think earlier this year that, that you have you have available run your website um, for sale and it's, it's called the forest. And that film was incredible, by the way, I know I sent you a message on it, but like, it was just, it captured big woods deer hunting like no other. I thought it was incredible. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, Jordan gets the uh, Jordan, the producer, he gets the credit. He's a super talented guy. I, I think you have a friend. Or I, I'm trying to remember, but I, so I, you're I gonna, feel like... You're going to say Justin, who d- does my film work, they used to work together. Yeah, they both went to the same school at uh, Become One, right? Yep, yep, exactly. Film, film, film the Hunt. Uh, Tom, and, Tom and Nick, the guys that do uh, the television show Become One. Yeah, your your buddy in Jordan. What what is his name? Justin Mueller. Yeah, right. Yeah, and they've gone out and filmed like uh, what's it? Jason Metzinger. I know they've gone together. I think they've gone for a couple of years and gone elk hunting with like Jason Metzinger, and and they're pros. They're just they're as high level as it gets. Yep. And dude, I was just a. The whole thing about podcasting, right? Building a community. So I, I know you that uh, I think you uh, have a relationship with uh, Chad and the guys over at Exodus Trail Cameras. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Chad had Chad had gone to I think that school, and he had met Jordan while he was there. And uh, Jordan is a uh, Northern Michigan guy, and he was opening with a friend, a company called Blue Collar Clothing here in Northern Michigan, selling work apparel, Carhartt work, Red Wing work boots, and all that good stuff. And Chad had posted something on his Facebook page about Jordan opening that store. Well, that store just happened to be where my brother has a cabin and where my grandfather's had a cabin for decades where we go up deer hunting. And it's a very small little you know, it is, it's a ma and pa, tiny little small town. Everyone knows each other. And I went to the website and I looked at it. I'm like, man, this is an awesome store. Like, I can't believe these guys are opening this up up here. Like, how cool. I want to reach out to this guy and like have him on the podcast and uh, promote his, his store. Cause the younger guys that are opening the shop up in the small town, like, Dude, I, I live for that, for like, you know, Americans that are 
young people taking a risk to open a business and being an entrepreneur. And uh, I'm a huge advocate and supporter of small business. To this day, I've only ever ordered one thing off of Amazon. Like, I'm a big proponent of small business. And so Chad had posted on Facebook that these guys were opening a store. And uh, I reached out to Jordan. And our first phone call, it was like by the end of it, we were like, man, are we best friends? Like, it seems like we might be best friends. And, uh, you know, we just through the course of that year, I called him one day and I was at work and I, I, you know, I'm a plumber by trade, but deer hunting has always been my passion. And, uh, I, I knew that I wanted to do something like that. I could look back on and be like, feel good that I had accomplished it and done it. And obviously I was already doing podcasts and stuff. And I just called Jordan one day. I'm like, dude, what would it, you know, what would it look like to like do a film about hunting, you know, like hunting up in Northern Michigan, like sharing what we go through for a season and sharing our deer camp with everybody. And I kind of have this idea in my head and I ran past him and he's like, he just instantly got excited. He's like, dude, you know, let's make it happen. And I'm like, uh, it sounds awesome. Let's do it. Like, how do we do it? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I have no clue. Like, you know, I know how to go deer hunting and he knows how to run a camera, but how to actually execute a film and then produce it. And I'm going to tell you a hundred percent honest truth. We literally spent a year and a half produced the entire film. It was almost two years to produce the film. And once it was done, we're like, all right, what are we going to do with this? Like, you would have thought that would have been the first thing we talked about, you know, like this, here's our objective, what we're going to do with this film. We just knew we wanted to make this film, like that we wanted to capture this. Then when it all got said and done, we're like, all right, I guess we should like figure out what we're going to do with it. And so uh, that was a learning experience in its own. I mean, we obviously had a general idea. But we never like sat down and had like a plan for like, hey, we're shooting this for a film festival or, hey, we're shooting this to put on YouTube or, hey, we're shooting this to sell it on a website or make a DVD. And so it just kind of all happened as it happened. And so. So it did happen that I actually over the course of these years have built a really good uh relationship and friendship with jared scheffler from whitetail adrenaline yep and that guy is as good of a human being that exists on this planet like i want my daughter to marry someone that has the moral characteristics of jared scheffler because i don't i really don't know a lot of people that have as high of integrity as that guy does he is just that good of a person. And uh, Jared was just so willing to be like, hey, here's everything I learned, you know, over the course of 20 years of making DVDs. And I'll share it all with you. Um, and not only that, I'll help you. Like, I'll help you guys make a DVD. So 
we were able to get it to a final production to a file and then we turned that file over to Jared Scheffler and he produced the, the DVD and super fortunate to have worked with the people that I worked with, obviously. Cause like I said, I mean, both just a couple absolute professionals and the, the finished product was just like, I was blown away. I was just blown away. Those guys are artists. Um, I can't believe how talented they are and what they put together out of that. And, uh, it's, it's cool. Cause my kid is like one years old. Uh, well, no, I, he's, he's two years old in it. And, uh, you know, now looking at that, it's just something that I'll always have the opportunity to look back and be like, that was a period of my time, uh, that I've captured for forever. An absolute ton of work. I, I joke about it, but like, the, you know, one of the reasons when, why I think Jared was excited about, or uh, why Jordan, excuse me, was excited about doing it is because he realized I had zero clue, like what was going to be involved. And he realized that I was just, and I basically told him this. I was like, dude, I'll just do whatever you tell me to do. Like, if we need to shoot that again, tell me to shoot that again. And uh, I did not know the extent of what was going to go into it. I actually, it worked out super awesome that like right when we started to shoot it, it was like October 11th or something. We were just like, you know, the first two weeks in archery, uh, I got fired from a job. Um, and it was kind of a crazy set of circumstances cause I'd really never been fired from a job, but I got hired by a company for a position and then some management changed and they decided to terminate my position with like in a 90 day period. So I was like, okay, well this sucks. I don't have a job. And Jordan's like, yeah, you do. He's like, this is your job right now. Like we need to do this and we need to get this done. And I was just like, okay, that sounds good <laughs> to me. So uh, I don't need any more convincing. Uh, I'm going to take this super serious and I don't know how we would have done it. He had a, he was, you know, part owner of a store, so he had flexibility and, uh, I, I made it my full-time thing and we want to make another one in the worst way, but the, to actually be realistic about what it's going to take and find time is, uh, it's a long ways out, but yeah, I'm thankful for having the opportunity to work with those guys and they're all just so talented and uh, it's cool to be with good cameramen in the woods because I feel like they're all detail oriented. And if you like watch how they usually any good camera guy that I've found in the woods are like really good deer hunters as well because they're just patient and they're detail oriented. I remember getting into the late season thinking like just kind of struggling to get up. You know, but I'm always motivated to shoot deer and just thinking like, I can't believe Jordan wants to get up this morning with me to go deer hunting again, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they do and they love it and they're, they're, you know, then they come back and edit hours of footage and put it out, put all that stuff together. Those guys are super passionate about their craft, but uh, yeah, it's on our website. It's, uh, I actually, it's available on DVD. I did that for the reason that. I wanted people to be able to take it to camps. I didn't want you to be tethered to 
you know, internet service to be able to uh, watch it online. And then, uh, I guess I, I, I'm kind of old fashioned. I like cassette tapes. I like records. I like DVDs. I like cover art, um, movies, you know, I miss blockbuster. I don't I couldn't even tell you how much money I pay for Amazon. Just be gone and blockbuster back. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, what's, um, what's so interesting about that is like, so I, I don't know if you had done any, you know, filming yourself prior to that, but like for, for me, I never, I never filmed anything. Like I tried once I bought a camera arm. I got really frustrated within about an hour and I never used it again. Trying to self film. I was like, this just takes away from my deer hunting. And I, I'd hired Justin when him and I met through this, this course called the hunting photographer. And I wanted to learn to take photos better. And there was a business side of the course that I wanted to learn. And he was doing that cause he started freelancing when he, he stopped, um, when he went out on his own after working for Tom and Nick and, and so anyways, we met up and we went on elk hunt and everything just like worked out and I, I killed an elk and I didn't in the previous three years, it just worked out and we'd filmed a bunch of B-roll of this stuff. The film turned out great. Went to Alaska with me and it was all, it was, and it was amazing. It was, but it was different, but I could tell like Justin and I just connected like him and I, we worked together really well and I've never worked with any other cameramen really. I mean, I did a little bit, but just Justin was just him and I just, you could one, he's a hunter and two, you could just like really tell. So for me to get someone to go into a, a tree stand with me was a big deal. Cause I'm very detail oriented and like particular with my stuff. And, and I was like, well, if it's, I, I really wanted to make a film that, talks about the big woods here in Pennsylvania and, and hunting this Appalachian mountain region. And that's what we started filming here. And what I, one thing I didn't realize is, you know, the last ones we made in a week of filming and, or two, or two weeks of filming where this one, it, it's not going to be done right now. Like it, it, one, I didn't kill buck, but two, it, uh, it, there's so much more to it. And he, and he was just, awesome to have along and like to see like just things that I, I don't, I mean, I don't have that creative side of it. Like he does. He's just so talented and knows how to do it. And, and the thing is like after like five days of hunting straight all day, I was just like, you know, I'm beat, I'm tired. And then it motivates me when I see Justin still getting up at three forty-five in the morning when this is a day like 30 for him because he came from other hunts filming and right. i'm like that is incredible and that drive is is you know almost infectious where once you know i'm like i don't want to complain i want to i want to you know do it like like he is and and uh it's just it's pretty cool when you work with like you said they're, they're professionals at it and yeah we're talking about you know having a podcast and building a community and it's you're a product of the people you surround yourself with right yeah so, that it seems like those uh, those high level, you know, outdoor hunting film producer people, um, they just seem like a, a outstanding, you know, character morals, and then uh, work ethic that's pretty much unmatched. 
Yeah. And, and, and you know, you said like you wanted to do the DVD, like the take to hunting camp. For me, it was the reason why I wanted to do more of a film style versus like the, the way traditional things are, are going now with, you know, just putting out amount of content. I'm not saying anything bad about what's out there now. I think a lot of it's really, really good and, and real, but I just, I love the film style. I love that, that way. And, and that's just the way I wanted to do it. And so it was, it was a neat process and, and I've actually met Jordan, um, I don't know, a handful of times now. And he's, he's an incredible guy as well. Him and I always get along. We see each other. Um, I've seen him at the the bars at some shows and stuff before. And we've, you know, shot the shit a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't like Jordan, you're basically a terrorist. (laughs) In my opinion, uh, he's, uh, pretty impossible guy to uh dislike he is uh him and his kind you know same thing like it's talking about you know guys like jared shuffler that just they're of high moral character and they have very strong work ethics and those are the kind of people that you want to be around they're just the kind of people that are going to propel you forward in your life and uh something about those guys that are willing to chase that you know that dream of filming an outdoor show like that i mean there's the odds are stacked against them they really have to work their tails off to get to a position where they can make a career out of that and those guys that do do it you know that they're just willing to push through anything yeah i yeah i i couldn't agree anymore so do you, are you still hunting uh, currently? You said November 15th, you know, opened up your deer season. Did you get to go up to camp? So we had a baby two weeks ago now. And so I have basically committed to staying 15 minutes from home for the last month, essentially, because we got into that window where the baby could come any day. And then, obviously, we have a newborn. Uh, We have a five-year-old son. So, to answer your question, no, I did not go up to deer camp. It's first year in my adult life, essentially, that I didn't take off and go up there. And my wife did green like me. She's like, you know, if you want to run up there for a day or a day and a half, just go. And I... I I didn't want to do that. I was... uh, I'm, I'm... very happy to kind of have put the final puzzle piece in for our family. Um, everybody here at my household is happy and healthy. And so it's kind of one of those things, uh, I joke about it, but you know, that meme goes around like careful what you do on Valentine's day. Cause you know, the rut's nine months away. Uh, I've always kind of been like, yeah, deer hunting's cool, but, this is cool. This is cooler. Yeah. You know? And so I, I hedged my bets and, uh, it, it, for me, guys will joke with me. Oh, you know, I can't believe you did that. You know, you got, yeah, you baby November 3rd. Like what's wrong with you? And it's <laughs> like, dude, I wanted a baby who like, uh, I wanted a baby more than I wanted a buck. So now I got a baby and, uh, next year I'll be able to cut loose and go up north and go deer hunt and I'll appreciate it even more. But 
we're actually, I just talked with Jordan last week, and we're going to go up for a late season December muzzleloader hunt. And uh, I don't know if we're going to film anything or not. We really didn't talk uh, about that. Um, obviously, I'm sure we'll bring some cameras. I don't know how in-depth or what we're going to do. But we're going to go up north to our deer camp for a muzzleloader weekend and try to shoot a couple deer and enjoy each other's company. And uh, I really look forward to that that time of the year. But uh, for me right now, it uh, deer hunting is one of those things. Um, guys that uh, get older and, you know, I don't know if you aspire to have a family in the future, but if you do, it'll be something that you'll learn that, like, there, it's hard to be out in the woods and be at peace if you don't know that your priorities are handled. Mm-hmm. You'll get out there and you'll be like, oh, shit, I shouldn't be here right now, you know? Um, and that's everybody's battle. Everybody handles that in a different manner and uh, everybody feels different about it. But uh, for me, like I said earlier, I'm not the kind of person that likes to have thing on my plate so i'm and i'm super fortunate to have a look at you know awesome wife so i know if i get her covered and i get all my shit done and together i can go deer hunting and feel really 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 good about it but if i'm sitting out there and i know that like i kind of abandoned a project or cut something that potentially should have been done before. Um, it'll it'll dwell on me. It'll drive me right out of the woods. So, um, you know, I don't know where exactly I'm going with that, but every every year I get a little older, and uh, my family becomes more and more important to me. And there's always a struggle that I now endure of like deer hunting is addictive like it is a drug for me uh i could literally go every day I, if it wasn't for my family i would just quit my job every fall and i just deer hunt every day you know what i mean i drain my savings i never have a, a penny in my bank because i would not show up to work in the fall but once you get a family that's not really an option so you got to try to figure out how to how to balance that to where you don't lose your job and you show up to work on on Monday, but you still get to fill your need for being out in the woods and, and deer hunting. You know. Yeah, I mean, no, I think everything you said there just speaks a lot of your your values and your your ethics and morals and stuff with it, and I think that's super important. And as much as you know, we get into that, you know, how much we're obsessed with hunting and and deer hunting specifically like it it you got to be in check with those things and for everyone depending on what phase of life they're in that's a little bit different you know my with me right now it's a little different than you because i i don't have a family yet and so that's that's a little bit different yeah yeah everybody's that's one thing that um yeah and um you know, maybe we even wrap on this because it's like the most important thing that we could probably possibly talk about tonight. There is, uh, there's this lack of appreciation 
and acceptance for the fact of how different deer hunters are and what people want out of deer hunting. You know, there's, you could go to a handful of different pages tonight. One is, we hate everybody that shoots fixed blade broadheads. And the other one is, we hate everyone that shoots expandable broadheads. And the other one is, let them go, let them grow. And the other one is the <laughs> super creative people are nowadays. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the Boom and Crockpot Club. No, I haven't. Yeah, yeah. Um, not Boom and Crockett, Boom, Boom and Crockpot. So those guys like to shoot deer. They don't really care about horns, apparently. Uh, and you can see this division that basically kind of bubbles up and a lot of people argue. And I never see that happen at a deer camp. Guys don't care what broadheads each other are shooting. They don't really care which deer they're, you know, everybody's just happy to be together and go deer hunting. And I guess, uh, I've really come to respect the fact that, uh, people just, people love the deer hunt because they want to get kind of disconnected from the pace of modern life. And they really don't want people telling them what to do. It's like, this is this one thing you get to go out and do where you're by yourself and you get to achieve your own goals, and get what you want out of it. And as much as obviously, obviously, it's super cool to shoot pig deer. It's not the end all be all. There's a, I feel like if that's all, and, and I understand everybody is in a different page in the book, right? Some guys are at the end of the book. They've shot a ton of deer and uh, now their challenge is to shoot older, bigger deer. They got to realize that somebody might just be starting the book. And it's super exciting for them to go out and shoot a fork horn. And you hear, you know, guys say, oh, you know, it's not a challenge to shoot a year and a half old buck. I will challenge you on that statement to go up to a big woods deer hunt, you know, late season where you might not see a deer for two days and to try to shoot a year and a half old buck versus me going out on some really, really pristine farm ground late season where I know a field's going to fill up with 50 deer at night and, you know, there's going to be half a dozen four-year-old bucks. You're going to have a hard time selling me that it's a bigger challenge to shoot a four-and-a-half-year-old buck than it is a year-and-a-half-old buck if we're really evaluating the situations. So I would just ask that people just kind of step back, calm down a little bit, really embrace the fact that people are buying deer tags. And that's kind of where I I will um, very much, if I see somebody engaging in activity that I feel like is harmful to deer hunting, obviously the biggest negative thing that people do nowadays is just post pictures that aren't going to be received well from outside the deer hunting community. You know, if you if you make a noose to hang your deer from the the buck pole, uh, it's not a great look, yeah. you know. Uh, and the thing's just covered in blood with the tongue out. It's 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 not going to be received as well as some real tasteful, cleaned up photo. So every now and then, if I see somebody that's like actually having a negative impact, where I feel like they could be harming the future of the activity. I might say something, but 
just for instance, like this week, my brother, he's up north deer hunting and, uh, he texts me, he's like, Oh, I got a nice big doe, you know, I'm like, Oh, it's awesome. Text me a couple hours later, dude, I'm super bummed. It's this little pencil spike. Like, I'm like, that's awesome. Like you got a deer, like the weather's awful. You guys got like three days and the weather's awful and you haven't shot a deer yet this year. You got a deer, like congratulations, you know? subscribe to the boom and crackpot club i guess get your t-shirt i don't know but you know be be super grateful that you just have the opportunity to have the days to go field and and do that you won't have it you know for your entire life time will come where you know your legs aren't going to work like they used to and you're not going to be able to get out there my grandfather's 90 years old he's the one that got me into deer hunting you know and now he doesn't like to go because he gets cold and uncomfortable yeah. Time's going to come where you're not going to be able to go out there. So I just think it's it's an important thing that, uh, you know, I, I've asked this out of our listenership, you know, like the Internet is a challenging thing. Facebook is a challenging thing. Um, we struggle to deal with it. It's, uh, it's easy to get negative. And uh, I think hunters, you know, can lead and set an example for people how to use that space to where we just don't fall, you know, don't fall for those, those traps. You know, if, if you don't have something nice to say, just don't say it, man, just scroll on by. Uh, it, it can be tough to do because you can be rigid in your ideology about what deer hunting is supposed to be about, but you got to realize the next guy doesn't work your job. He doesn't have your property um he doesn't have the same time frame as you do like and just be thankful that he's an asset to the community going out there buying a deer tag and you know ensuring that this whole thing gets funded and potentially generations to come have the same opportunities that we did yep man i mean and when you said that this might be the most important thing that you'd say i mean i i couldn't agree anymore it's like there the we don't need any more division with that kind of stuff. And like you said, it doesn't mean you can't have your own goals or your own, you know, thoughts on things, but you know, everyone's out there doing it for a different reason, you know, and it just coming together on that kind of stuff and, and doing it in a tasteful way is, is huge. It's such a big, so I I had a guy, comment one of my Instagram posts. I ended up deleting the comment because I I responded to it. And then I was like, this just doesn't show up good in general because so normally I just ignore kind of things that are somewhat ignorant. But this person had said, I said something about I was going to have to get my, um, my gun out. And this person apparently is a big bow hunter and was like, um, Oh, the only thing, you know, I only bow hunt. The only thing that guns should be Guns shouldn't be used for animals, just people. And I was like, "All right, dude. Like, I'm a I'm a big proponent of the the Second Amendment and everything that goes along with it. And you're making everybody look terrible by that statement. <laughs> you know, right. it's like, and, and you know, so I and I direct message him on the side, and I was just like, like, come on, like that's not." You know, I, I know I didn't really mean anything by it. it was a joke, but at the same time, if if I try to look at it from the eyes of someone that doesn't see it, you know, from, you know, isn't a hunter or isn't, you know, a gun-toting American and, and try to look that way. And the same thing with like what you were saying with photos and the way you do that, you know, I, um, I think we can all take something from that. 
that's uh <laughs> if i accomplish one thing through you know through doing this it'll be that more people buy gear tags um and i and i know for sure that it works because you know i answer every message that's ever come in uh i got two that i haven't gotten to yet this week so i promise if you guys are listening to this and i haven't gotten to you yet i am not lying will <laughs> uh, i've answered every message that ever has come into this podcast and i know we get guys that uh you know start listening for whatever reason um and then get into deer hunting you know or they'll uh they'll be wanting to get into deer hunting. So what do you do when you want to get into anything nowadays? You know, you start researching it and then you listen to podcasts and we've had a handful of guys, you know, that have never been deer hunting before. And then, you know, a year or two later, they're sending in their photo. got my first deer, you know, it's just like, ah, it's awesome. We're doing that. That's all I want to do. I want more people to buy deer tags. We want a bigger community, less people arguing, more people going deer hunting, and uh, one of these years, uh, in the next couple of years, I'd, I'd like to do something like the Honey Public guys do, um, but kind of invite. I, I think I have it figured out, too, in a manner where I could do it, where I could just basically say, come on, come all. Like, we're all going to go to a giant deer camp. There might be 100 guys, uh, you know, for for a weekend or whatever. And we'll have... Uh, We'll have like a 60 mile radius or something, you know what I mean? But just to get a giant community of guys together, uh, one weekend, I've, I've talked with, uh, Kurt, uh, Geiger from work class bow hunter, uh, about doing it and, uh, guys from all different kinds of states. And I, I think it would be just super cool one of these times to get like a giant deer, just this, this <laughs> mega giant deer camp, uh, to get together, you know, to a, a ridiculous, uh, extent where people, you know, when people are seeing it and going, how could I not want to be involved with that? Look how yeah. much fun those people are having. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I like that idea. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, anyways, Kevin, I appreciate you coming on here and, you know, taking some time out of your day and away from your family and everything to, to be able to talk to me here. I, I, I greatly appreciate it. Where, where can people find you know, your podcast and everything else that, that, you know, we kind of talked about here. So personally, I'm the most active on Instagram. If you wanted to uh, get a hold of me quickly. Um, I'm also, I, I have, you know, I've had, I've had a passion for it for a, a long time, but then obviously getting involved with uh, Jordan and the filming stuff. I, I really, really like photography I take a ton of pictures. So Instagram is the, a great platform for me and I'm the most active on there. So if you wanted to like get a look at basically what our camp looks like and what the train that we hunt looks like and uh, what my life looks like, you would go to my Instagram and it's just deer hunter podcast. And then it's the same thing on Facebook. I'm much less active on there. But obviously, it all comes to the same place. You could uh, you can go to our Facebook page, Deer Hunter Podcast. Everything is Deer Hunter Podcast. Our film is available on our website, uh, the DVD. It's 
It's uh, 1999 on there, I believe. And most of our podcast episodes are linked on there as well. That's deerhunterpodcast.com. And then also when the whole COVID thing set in, uh, it was never really my intention to put the film on YouTube, but uh, I knew people were looking for deer hunting content and we put the film on YouTube. So you can go to our YouTube. It's just deer hunter. It's deer hunter podcast as well. And the film is there on YouTube. So deerhunterpodcast.com will link you to all of that. And that's that's basically where you can get the gist of everything that uh, I'm doing outside of my, I'd love to be able to say nine to five someday, but it's more like my six to six, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hear you, man. Well, Kevin, again, I, I appreciate it, and I hope everyone goes and checks out your stuff. I enjoy following along on your Instagram and and everything you're doing with the podcast and the film and stuff. I'm I hope you uh, you and Jordan put something else together again because I'll definitely be be looking for it. Yeah, we're talking. We got plans. Uh, it'll be a long time probably before we get to execute it. But uh, Jordan went to college in Maine. And uh, they have some incredible whitetail up there, and it's one hell of a place for an experience to go uh, whitetail deer hunting. And uh, I actually have a relationship with Hal Blood and the guys from Big Woods Bucks. So we've got some things, we've got some ideas, uh, some creative ideas in the works. But uh, it's you know it's it's very possible that uh, when we do have the opportunity, the next thing we might do is uh, go go to Maine and go on a, a big woods whitetail hunt over there. But uh, who knows that could change. I hope to be able to do it uh, too sooner than later, but yeah, man, uh, right back at you. Yeah. This was fun. I uh, have done a little less deer hunting than I normally do this year. So I was excited to be able to sit down and talk to you about this and uh, I'll make sure to reciprocate. And here in the coming weeks, we'll, we'll have you on and, uh, We'll, we'll, we'll pick your brain as well because uh, I know you're you're very much uh, one of those guys we're talking about all the guys that film and how professional you're obviously very like-minded and very professional yourself and handle your business and uh, very passionate about deer hunting so I'll be interested to have you on and reciprocate the conversation well I appreciate that it, um, I'd, I'd be happy to do that and definitely looking forward to it Cool, man. Thanks again. Appreciate it. And uh, to all your audience, uh, best of luck the remainder of the season and be kind to other hunters and encourage more people to get into this lifestyle because there's not one that's better. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.